Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. We're here in Warsaw, Poland at the Global Forum on Nicotine, the annual conference on safer nicotine products and tobacco harm reduction, celebrating its 10th anniversary this year. One of the key topics is science, as we discuss endlessly. And joining us today to talk about science around vaping and other tobacco harm reduction products is Danny Tower. You are the head of scientific and regulatory affairs at BAT. Yes, that's correct. So whatever brought you to BAT? Well, I've been at BAT just over five years now, after a 20-year career in uh, product development of fast-moving consumer goods at Procter & Gamble. And I came to BAT, well, I was convinced to join BAT, actually because of the tobacco harm reduction journey that BAT are on, and its profound potential beneficial public health impact. And what is that benefit then? Well, what we're aiming to do is re reduce the negative health impact of the smoking uh, products. And what we're looking to do is offer reduced risk alternatives, nicotine products that are sub uh, scientifically substantiated as reduced risk options. So one of the things that really are a highlight for me here is that you come from consumer packaged goods. Yes. Not many people would consider big tobacco to be in the consumer packaged good business. How is that, to, how is that the case? Well, what is going to help win the tobacco harm reduction um, mission is if we can design alternative reduced risk products that are ones that smokers are going to switch to. And from all of my experience in product development in other categories, I understand what it takes to design and make a consumer acceptable product. Are users of um, vaping products, and I usually just keep it to vaping, it's just simple, um, are they consumers or are they addicts? Oh, they're absolutely consumers. And it's because we need to give them a choice, a choice of different product solutions that will help them continue to um, um, consume nicotine in the way that they wish to, but with, without any of the negative health effects that obviously come from cigarettes. So one of the things that you did or had been working on at BAT but were responsible for was the views and the Vipe e-liquid rollout and development? That's right, that's right. So for most of the last five years at BAT, I've been the lead liquid developer for the vapor category um, portfolio. So, so what does that mean? So it means designing a portfolio of e-liquids for use in our various different vapor systems and devices so that the sensorial experience that we can deliver to smokers is comparable in its satisfaction to cigarettes and therefore it's going to encourage smokers to move across to vaping systems. So how important are flavors then in that development? They're very important. So flavors, nicotine and excipients, they all play an important role in delivering non-combustible products that are going to be ones that smokers will switch to and hopefully stick with because we don't want them then relapsing into cigarette use later. I'm a vapor, was a smoker for 25 years. And one of the key things that really got me to make the switch was seeing that there was such a huge variety of product available out there. I mean, I could always get my Rothmans anywhere in the world at any time of the day. Would I be able to have that same access when it came to um, you know, e-liquids and vaping products? For a while there, it was looking pretty good, but it's a little iffy now in Canada and US and mm. other places. Um, 
how do you how do you go about dealing with the access issue? Well, that is one of the most critical aspects of how we can succeed with the tobacco harm reduction agenda. Regulations need to be such that smokers do have access to these reduced risk profile alternative products anywhere where they can actually access cigarettes today. You know, and that's I would say is true not only for the developed world, but also for low and middle income countries as well. Now, just so our viewers know, you are a scientist. You come from the chemistry side? Yeah, now actually my training is in chemical engineering, but I lead a team of toxicologists and chemists and biologists and geneticists, you know, a whole gamut of different science disciplines, um, because we're really looking at, at the science challenges holistically at BAT. So I, I found it interesting that science and regulatory affairs are together. Is that unusual? I don't believe so. It's a natural fit. Um, the way that I think about my responsibility at BAT is everything with regard to product stewardship. So that's consumer product safety, but also legal compliance. We, you know, part of my team, they are looking at ensuring that every product that we put onto the market and maintain on the market is compliant with the regulations. And it's a complex patchwork of different regulations across the world, as I'm sure you're aware. It's a team sport. So even though within my area in research and development, scientific research of the BAT organization, we're focused on toxicology and product regulatory compliance. We very much work in hand in hand with other functions within the business. So for example, government affairs, scientific regulatory engagement. So these are colleagues who we work hand in hand with to make sure that we bring the science to bear in the regulatory engagements that we need to do. Well, that's the reason why I brought that question up because I'm wondering, is science so important when it comes to dealing with regulatory affairs, dealing with government, dealing with the public and so forth, that's why science and regulation are going together. Absolutely. Yes, it's very much our philosophy that um, all of our products need to be scientifically substantiated and the reduced risk profile of them needs to be proven. And really that's the only way that we're going to make uh, continued progress with influencing regulators if we can show them and continue to demonstrate that scientifically this makes sense for smokers. So are reduced risk products, are vaping products um, safer? Than cigarettes. Well, what, what we know from our science to date is a couple of very important things. Firstly, that our VUSE products, the aerosol that they generate, contains 99% less toxicants than you find in cigarette smoke. That is obviously coming from the combustion of tobacco. The other thing is that we've run um, various clinical studies with our VUSE products and what they are showing, which is really encouraging, is that the indicators within the body, the biomarkers that are associated with smoking-related diseases are significantly better, significantly lower in adult consumers using VUSE when you compare it to people who continue to smoke. Now, are the biomarkers, isn't the significance of that as to help answer the question when people say that there's no long-term studies around the use of these products, you can point to then the biomarker science. Exactly right. It's, it's, it's a step on this journey. And obviously, ultimately, we want the long-term evidence, the epidemiology, and that's what we're working towards. And that will take a bit more time. But the steps um, that we've already been able to take with our science are incredibly encouraging. And it gives us great confidence to be able to advocate for these as a, as a good alternative for smokers. So you didn't 
totally answer the safer part. I know that a lot of epidemiologists that are on side uh, on vaping products, they don't like to say the word safe. Um, if we can't say safe, safer, um, how do we truly combat the fact that more people today than three years ago think that vaping is, is as harmful or even more harmful than smoking? Since 2018, it's just fallen off the cliff. Mm. Like, where does that misinformation come from? How do you fight back against that if you can't come out and make statements? And I'm not saying you guys, I'm saying everybody, right? I know, it's, it's disappointing. I think that you're right, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, there's still so much of a job to do for all of us in terms of education, educating consumers, educating public, public health, educating regulators. What we're very much focused on in scientific research at BAT is generating the science that gives us the best chance of effectively providing that education um, and dispelling the myths and the mis misinformation that is out there today. Yeah. Um, how do you do that though? See, like in Canada, you can't actually say anything at all that's about any benefits, about a product. Um, you can't share science. If you're in the industry, you can't actually share a piece of science that actually discusses vaping in a, in a positive manner. And of course, we know that FDA has got it, what it's, you know, clamps down. You can't make certain claims. So, like, it just seems that. Everywhere on this debate, you are unable to, and I mean anybody, is unable to really use mainstream media, use mainstream advertising, use any of the typical tools mm. to reach out and you know, make a difference in terms of messaging. None of that can be done. It's incredibly challenging. Um, one way that I think we, can, we have some hope is that, you know, again, through the scientific community and channels, um, we have, BAT have published more than 150 peer-reviewed studies on our reduced risk product portfolio. And these are, you know, it's a global community of scientists, you know, and that, that's what that peer review rigorous process enables people to do, external third-party eyes on the quality of our science. My hope is that that in some way will continue to allow the message and the positive, you know, database scientifically substantiated message to get out there in the face of challenges of not being able to talk directly to consumers in, in a lot of markets, as you're pointing out. How did the um, vaping-related lung illness affect the environment and maybe even the business? It was shocking, the Avali experience in 2019, 2020. Um, what I take great confidence and comfort from is just how rigorous and robust our product stewardship approaches are at BAT and I think you know this is what all manufacturers need to be held accountable to um, and I think you know equally we need um, regulations around the world which are built off the highest product standards to ensure consumer product safety um, and this includes um, you know really robust negative lists of potentially harmful ingredients um, and, and making sure that you know no manufacturer anywhere is using any of those types of ingredients like those that cause the Avali crisis, vitamin E acetate. Um, the challenge of course is that those of us who play by the, the rules of the game, we are doing the right thing and holding ourselves to very high standards. 
The products that caused the Avali problem were obviously illicit products. And this is where regulation and, and enforcing the product standards really needs to, to play an important part. And I think that was the challenge a little bit because the regulators, say like the CDC, kind of played a very disadvantageous role. Well, the CDC took what should have been a tainted product scare and turned it into a disease. Ah, I see what you mean. Yeah, it doesn't help. It certainly doesn't help us um, try and educate smokers to um, the value in considering a reduced risk alternative such as vapour. It, it certainly doesn't help with the misinformation. How important is the US market to the future of reduced risk products and say BATs? I think it's very important. You know, surely uh, sh the sheer size of it is, is one thing that cannot be ignored. The number of smokers who exist there today that we need to convert to uh, reduced risk products in the interests of public health. You received a PMTA, didn't you, for at least one of the products? Yes, that's right. Yes, View Solo, View Zero. We have uh, have done. We have been granted uh, marketing grant orders. I like the product. I think the fact that those products have been approved is a good thing. Mm. Um, I know that myself and many people that are vapors are frustrated with the fact that a there's only been tobacco. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I guess, you know, I mean, how do you, how does BAT feel about that? Well, I mean, firstly, I would say that I, I think it speaks to the quality of the science that goes on at BAT, that we have had those MGOs um, on at least two of our products so far. On the point about it's only tobacco, yes, it's really not enough. We would like to see menthol and other flavors also being approved. And we will have to see, uh, you know, what the FDA's response on those is. But as we touched on previously, we very much see flavors as having an important role in supporting smokers to switch and stay with reduced risk products. So, you know, in our minds, it's important to maintain a range of flavor options in each of our new categories, reduced risk category products. A lot of people in the American market um, see big tobacco uh, being preferred by FDA. Um, often, in fact, actually, I've, I've heard some uh, epidemiologists kind of say, and people in, in public health say that, that the relationship between tobacco and the regulators is one that's decades old, right? And that the tobacco companies are seen to be a bit more of the adults in the room. I'm not personally involved in any of the discussions with the FDA, but we do have a team of people um, based in the US within research and development who are experts at um, generating the science that the FDA need to see and engaging with the FDA to make sure that that science is what they need um, to do the work that the FDA are trying to do. So I think um, there's, a, there's a, a relationship there that is enabling progress to be made. Obviously, the whole PMTA process with the FDA is not ideal from our perspective. It would be, in our minds, better to have an approach that really enables innovation in terms of pace of innovation um, perhaps with more of a TPD-like 
post you know, notification rather than a pre-market approval. Because ultimately, science and technology and innovation is what's going to drive the transformation of the tobacco industry. The sooner we can get products into the hand of smokers that are scientifically substantiated as reduced risk, and are satisfying enough to them that they will stay with the reduced risk products, the better. Within the scientific community, is there anything close to consensus on the science? There seems to be uh, just a, t a debate about the science that does it, that's not so black and white. It seems that it's ideological. Uh, I, I understand why you say that. I think the way I think about it is that um, as long as we do our science, in partnership with perhaps academia, with other respected scientific third parties, clinical organizations, and we, we have peer review of both our study design and the data that is generated and the results, then you know it's a very transparent and open way of generating science that objectively shows that these reduced risk products really are reduced risk. Now, uh, coming up later this year in Panama, is COP10, the WHO's Conference of the Parties, you know, the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control. If you had an opportunity to deliver a message to the delegates, what would that be? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I would encourage everyone to consider regulations that prioritize high product standards for consumer product safety, regulations that enable access for smokers to reduce risk profile alternatives, and not to overly narrow the um, opportunity for innovation in f with reduced risk products, because I think the innovation ultimately is what is going to enable us to achieve the tobacco harm reduction outcomes that we're all seeking to. And last question, here at the Global Forum on Nicotine, what are you hoping to get out of this conference? It's a wonderful, this is my first time at the uh, GFN and it's a wonderful opportunity to um, hear different perspectives, not just from the industry, but from different public health ad advocates, consumers themselves, um, and understand from other people's perspectives, what are the latest challenges when it comes to tobacco harm reduction and how might we join forces to more effectively drive that forward?